Jonah chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O my Lord, my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. We know that as we've read these past couple of chapters, Jonah, he's ended up um, on a ship, a huge storm... Uh, hits the ship, all of the sailors uh, are crying on their gods, crying out to their various gods, uh, and Jonah eventually is woken up, he's uh, remarkably asleep in the bottom of the ship. And uh, the, the question is, why are you not calling on your God for our salvation, for us to be saved? We need help from outside of us, we've done all that we can, We need help from outside. Uh, Are you going to help by calling on your God? Who is your God? And Jonah turns around and he said, the God who I worship is the God who created everything. Now the connection there quite clearly is, well, if your God is the God who created everything and we've got a storm going on, is it possible that your God might be able to deal with that storm? Why aren't you calling out on your God? Because our gods, as far as the sailors were concerned, were were, uh, images on the ship or maybe uh, gods who are not seen, whatever whatever it might be. We're not given any indication of who their gods were. The chances are they were probably on the ship with them, some sort of carved image. And Jonah turns around and he says, my God is over everything. My God created all of this. So throw me overboard. If I die, you will live. That's the message of Jonah at this point. If I die, you will live. That, for those of us who've spent any time looking at the Bible, uh, in fact, really, I would say for, for pretty much all of us, I can say this really very quickly. That's one of the key themes in the Bible, you know. Somebody dies so that somebody else can live. That's finally seen remarkably and amazingly in Jesus. He comes into this world and he dies so that those who don't deserve to live can live. But it's just a little taster. It's the way God works through the Bible. He he gives little tasters in preparing us uh, and helping us to see how his plan is going to unfold for you and me to be in relationship with him. That's maybe a bit of a, a quick intro as to why we're even bothering with this story from so long ago. So Jonah ends up thrown into the sea and almost instantly uh, the storm disappears. 
because the God who Jonah worshipped was the God of creation. Uh, and he, therefore, he has rule and order over what he has created. And so these sailors end up becoming worshippers of that God. It's a remarkable turnaround that goes on. The one who should have been worshipping the God of all creation ends up in the bottom of the sea. And the, one who, the ones who weren't worshipping that God at the beginning of the story end up becoming worshippers of that God. And they, they become saved. Now, I believe, from what I see in the Bible here, when I die or when the Lord Jesus returns and all of this gets wiped out and there's a new heaven, there's a new earth, and everybody in the whole of creation who has believed and trusted in the living God uh, are together, I believe I'll end up meeting these sailors because they become worshippers of God. Isn't that a remarkable turnaround? They get saved. So Jonah ends up in the bottom of the sea. And then, even worse, swallowed up by a huge fish. And the way that he describes it, as we see in our reading, right at the very end of the reading, we see that uh, from Jonah's point of view, my life was ebbing away. That's the way he saw his, his situation. I am about to die. In fact, I am as good as dead. Now, that's, that really connects in with what we've just seen, doesn't it? How bad are the storms in life? You know, it can be that we are really at the end. In fact, one of the most remarkable stories that we see in the Bible, one of the most remarkable moments of salvation, and it's just breathtaking, is when Jesus is nailed to a cross and on each side are two criminals. And one of them recognizes, sees who the Lord Jesus is, and turns to him and he says, remember me. And in that moment, how close, how close to the end can it be? And, and he's saved. He becomes a follower of Jesus in the last moments of his life, the last hours of his life. Uh, and he, again, is somebody who we will see. Uh, and then we see in, in Jonah, we have this man who is... Really, he's got, he is the, the epitome of being in a storm. How bad are the storms in our life? I don't need to ask for some how bad the storms are in your life right at this point in time. The question is, in the violence of those storms, is there always hope? Is there always the possibility? Can God save us from any storm? It's a question I want to ask this afternoon. I think the guy who was in the video um, really hit the nail on the head, didn't he, right at the end? And made, makes us ask the question as we, as we wonder and ponder on that thought, what does real help look like? What does real security and safety look like? Let's see the way it unfolds. Firstly, we see that uh, storms are a reality in life. And Jonah was in the middle of a real storm. The interesting thing is, as we, know, as we see the story unfolding, 
we see from a human perspective, and this is the way the story opens up for us, we have the advantage of being able to read it recounted to us. Very beginning we see, um, or right rather at the end of the verse 17 of chapter 1, we read this. Uh, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Verse 4 of chapter 1 we read, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. We've got that advantage, haven't we? We can see what's going on, if you like, from two dimensions rather than one dimension. As far as the sailors were concerned, they've just got onto a boat. Jonah's just got onto a boat, and a storm has, has just suddenly hit them. As far as Jonah's concerned, he's been thrown into the sea, and it happens that he's been picked up by a cruising great fish that has swallowed him up. Is it just fate? Are the things that go on just events? Well, actually, what we see here is that Jonah's situation is to a real extent it's self-imposed, isn't it? He's brought it on himself. You know, you could be sure that Jonah was going to end up in some sort of storm, some sort of crisis, way back when he decided to go right instead of left or west instead of east, whichever way you look at it. He's heading against the will of God. He's heading against the way God has called him to go. And we always, you know, we always end up in storms when we go against God's desired way. In, in, in fact, the world is in a storm. We look at what's going on around us and we realize that the world is in a storm. Because we have rebelled against God. Rebels always end up in storms. There is always a crisis. And in other words, the Bible just opens up for, a for us a perspective which is, yes, on the one hand, yes, on the one hand, Jonah has put himself in that situation. Yet, on the other hand, the events of life, the, the things that have happened are increasingly and increasingly, according to God's will, bringing Jonah to a point of having to call upon God. Again, I don't know all of your situations. You don't know all of my situation. But I do know, because of so many conversations that I've had with people down through the years, that they recognize, they reach a point in their life where things are happening and they've, they've got to do something about it. They realize that there, there, is, there has got to be more. I need some help from outside of myself. I can no longer deal with this. This is bigger than me. There has got to be answers outside of this world. And they realize, in fact, very often we don't realize until much later on, we look back and we say, do you know what? It seemed like a storm. But it was the stepping stones of God's hand. Placing me step by step as He lifts my foot and places me from that secure place in the middle of a storm when I felt as if it was just going off around me, out of control, bad luck, 
I look back now and I see it was actually it was God placing my foot from one secure place to another secure place, bringing me increasingly step by step to a point where I say, God help me. God help me. I want to encourage you, recognizing and realizing that, for some people it just, it's like, just hits you. And you know that you, for others, it is a process. You might begin to be thinking, yeah, I, I realize that I, I need some more answers. Do not stop looking. Do not stop opening up to those guiding, directing, nurturing, caring steps of the Lord to take you to another place where eventually we say, I need your help. And do you see how Jonah reaches that? It gets really low for Jonah, doesn't it? My life was ebbing away. I remembered you, Lord. I was about to die. It couldn't get any worse. In fact, I think one of the purposes of the Jonah story for us, as I said last week, is to to emphasize to us that Jonah got it it just got so, it couldn't get any worse for any of us. Jonah's potential death down in the bottom of the sea, in the belly of the fish, is just so ridiculously awful. Nobody else can be as bad as Jonah. That's one of the things that we see, isn't it? Nobody else, it can never be as bad as this. And when he's in that position, when he's in that situation, he remembers the Lord and he prays. His prayer rises out from that horrific place to a place of holiness. A place of horror. A place of awfulness. A place of judgment becomes connected with a place of purity and holiness, and goodness, and rightness. In fact, Jonah in his prayer has the audacity, it seems, to say, Holy God, will you help me in the middle of this mess? Will you help me? I can't get any worse. I can't reach to you. You need to come to me. I can't do anything here. I am lost. I am literally physically constrained in the belly of this fish or in the the abdomen of this fish. I am being burnt by acids. I'm being swallowing water. It's just stinking. I can't move. In this place of judgment, will you reach out? Because I can't reach you. But I know that there is a place of hope. I know that there is a place where you have already said, I will reach into this crisis place of a world. It was the temple. It was a place where God had made Himself present in this world. It was a symbol of His promise, I won't leave you. I will make Myself present to you. You can reach to Me. 
by, by me making a more dramatic step in making my presence with you. And Jonah's got this connection going on in his mind. Can you imagine what must have been going on in his mind at that point in time? There's a place where God is present. Will you, will you reach out now? Will you make your presence known to me at this point? And that is precisely what God is always willing to do. In fact, what he does most dramatically, most incredibly, in building up step by step, we see it flooding through the Bible. I will increasingly and increasingly reach out and make myself present with you. I'll do it first with a temple. Oh, for sure, I'll do it with a temple. And it will, if you read the, the accounts in the Old Testament of what the temple was like when God made his presence with it, it was just breathtaking. There was a cloud. There was, it was just out of this world and God is present. But even more, even more than that, in a crazy, horrific, bad, destructive, sin-filled world, God makes his presence most incredibly by his son. Because that's what Jonah is seeing. There is the possibility, there is the hope of God reaching out. Will he help me? Look at what he says. <laughs> Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I know what he's thinking at this point but I'm sure it's got something to do with what he's just experienced up on the ship, hasn't it? Here's these sailors. They're clinging to worthless idols and nothing has happened for them. There was no hope. They were clinging to something that wasn't giving them any recovery. There was no resolution. There was no hope. And they're, they're, they're just investing all of their hope into something which is worthless. And Jonah knows that the living God is the place of hope. But he's also, in a way, he's speaking words which become timeless in their impact. He's speaking words which carry through, they kind of roll through the centuries, through the millennia, and start to hit into into our thinking, and we say in the middle of the storms, in the middle of the crisis, in the middle of the worst situations that you can possibly have, where am I going to turn for help? Where am I going to turn for recovery and for hope? Is there anything that is able, really, to make the difference between consolation, being consoled, and actually really saving me. That's the difference. We can be consoled. In the crises, in the storms of life, consolation is a good thing. But I was just reflecting on that video. It's why I showed it. The guy and his family there, they're looking at forward to the future and who knows what the future has for them. And there is consolation. And it is a wonderful consolation that can come from family and friends in just that kind of situation, isn't it? 
And we all know, we've, most of us have experienced it at some point in our lives, that kind of encouragement, that kind of support, that kind of consoling. But that kind of consoling, it's not saving, is it? It's not turning the situation around. It's not saying, I can make it better. I can resolve it. You know, there are many times when we end up in the storms of life, in the crises of life, and we know and we say, no matter who I go to in this world, no matter what conversations, I know that there are some of my friends, I know that they'll be there for me, they'll encourage me, they'll help me, they'll, they'll console me, I'll feel better because I've talked to them, but I know that they can't do anything about this. They can't turn it round. They can't save me from it. But Jonah understands that. He understands that in the middle of the storm, I don't need consoling, I need saving. I need somebody who can come into this and turn it around. Resolve it. Not, make, not comfort me. In fact, isn't the ultimate comfort somebody who can come in and actually turn it around? And resolve the situation. Because hope is not found. Hope, real, deep, life-sustaining, eternal, securing hope is not found purely in comfort, in consolation. It's found in resolution. And Jonah is making this comparison there is a holy place where God is present, a God who is able to reverse things. And I'm contrasting that with worthless idols that can't, can't turn things around. We give ourselves to worthless idols again and again in our lives. We give, us, we give ourselves to things that actually can't change. Uh, we look for hope until we find Jesus, until the living Christ becomes present in our lives, we look for help, we look for salvation, we look to be saved all over the place. But, but even the best of those things can only bring us comfort. They can't turn it around. Because Jonah takes that thought and he says... There is a place of hope. There is pl a place where God has made himself present. I contrast that with worthless idols. And I will say, I'll sing a song of thanksgiving. I'll sing a song of joy. There's um, a pastor in America. His name's Matt Chandler. Some of you will know him. He uh, features um, on, on a number of uh, downloads and videos. A great guy. Uh, been very poorly whether he is in the same kind of situation as the guy that we've just seen earlier. One of the things that really struck me uh, when I was listening to Matt Chandler speaking on the issue of crises and storms in life, and he said this, the issue is that my security and my hope is not that God might heal me. It's that he will heal me. And initially I thought, well, that, what's going on here? Because 
that might not happen until you realize that as he unfolds it he says he'll either heal me now or he'll heal me for all of eternity he will heal me that's the kind of salvation that is needed isn't it something that can have a view which is greater than just the moment in time these moments that we live in we live in these moments of time don't we we think of our, our, our life as being from, uh, from birth to, to grave and, and everything works within that time boundary but God doesn't work within that time boundary God says I have set eternity in your hearts there is an eternal dimension which you live in you might not realize it yet but you do live in an eternal dimension and my kind of help my kind of resolution my kind of saving isn't restricted by just the days of our lives it goes on for all of eternity it's a much bigger perspective than you can ever come to until you see my son and Jonah goes on to say Salvation comes from the Lord. Jonathan Edwards, um, he, was a, he was a great philosopher, great natural scientist. He, was, he is still respected in America as one of the greatest thinkers of all time, greatest American thinkers of all time. Um, he was for a very, very short time before he died, he was um, the principal of Princeton University. There is, a, um, there, there is a center, I think, at Yale University, and I know that Yale University have published all of his works, continuing to publish his, his works. He is highly respected, but he was a committed believer in the Lord Jesus, and he was a pastor of a church. And Jonathan Edwards said this. This verse, he said, Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, the last sentence uh, of this verse is the central theme of the Bible. He said, it is the most important verse in the whole of the Bible. He wasn't one to really overstate things, Jonathan Edwards. So if he says, from his point of view, this is the central verse of the whole of the Bible, it's worth listening to. Why? Because salvation is of the Lord. In other words, there can be no salvation outside of the real, true, living God. Firstly, salvation always comes by that God, that living, powerful, sovereign, eternal God reaching out and breaking into our situations and saving us. We can never save ourselves. But salvation is a work of God. And I think Jonathan Edwards, in fact, as you read what he means by that, he says it's the central theme of the Bible because it is the story of the Bible, actually. It's how God is working out what He is determined to do throughout the whole of the history of this world. I will 
save people and I will save people. I will save them. What kind of storms do we go through in life? Is it possible that there is salvation? Not just comfort. Is it possible that there is real salvation, real hope in the worst of storms? Well, according to what we see from Jonah here, absolutely. Because salvation is not by our ability to kind of rise above those storms and conquer them ourselves. Salvation is God intervening at that moment in time and bringing us to hope. Bringing us to be able to have a, a perspective, a dimension which takes us outside of these, uh, these few years in which we live and saying, my salvation is bigger than you can imagine. My salvation is eternal. So that in the video that we've just seen where he gets to a point, he says, I don't know whether God will heal me. But if he doesn't, he's a good God and I trust him. If he does, he's a good God and I trust him. But to be able to say, that doesn't mean that if he doesn't heal me, there's no hope. It actually means that the hope is not seen just yet. But there's hope there. So every storm, while there is still breath in our bodies, while there is still the opportunity to be able to cry out and say, from that holy place, will you reach into this world? And those of us who live this side of Jesus, unlike Jonah, who was a few hundred years before Jesus, we live the other side of the event of Jesus coming into the world, don't we? We say, actually, yes, I understand that, that God presenced himself in this world in a way that we could never have expected. Jonah would never have expected that God would reach out in the way that he did. He thought he was a God who would just dwell in a temple. But he came in a man. And when it looked as if the final great conqueror, death, had won, Christ triumphs. He succeeds. He rises. Have you ever considered that when Jesus was stood up in front of all of the people after he'd been whipped and beaten, at the hands of the Roman authorities. He was so disfigured. He was so marred. He, he was unrecognizable. He was a hideous, awful state. And yet, the other side of the grave, save for the marks that he bears for all of eternity, that remind us of how he has saved us, he's restored and recognizable so that we can say because he rose and was restored there is no storm that can defeat me salvation is of the Lord salvation 
is of the Lord. If you want one strapline, one focus for the whole of God's purpose, salvation is of the Lord.